Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, I've had a busy uh, week or so. How about you? Uh, not nearly as busy as you. I've spent a lot of time at home with the kiddo. And uh, yeah, big news on the the Cunningham front. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I uh, got married on Friday of last week. Uh, just a small elopement ceremony with my now wife, her her dad and daughters, and then my my parents. So it's a uh, it's a really an amazing amazing weekend. It, it really couldn't have gone any better. And uh, I'm we're just we're both thrilled and, and over the moon. And and we were both back to work on Monday. Both of our uh, employers were like, "What are you doing here?" And it's like, "Well, we'd rather use all of our PTO once we actually go on a honeymoon or something." So which will that'll come once we uh, recover our finances. Cause we're also cl- uh, closing on a house this Friday. So we're just kind of ripping the bandaid off Colby, just all the stress all at once. Just get it done. That is a really busy week, really busy 10 days. Uh, but happy for you. You, every time we talk, uh, you seem happy and, um, yeah, it's just awesome. And yeah, save the, uh, PTO for the, the good vacation. My wife and I are planning our summer vacation. We try to do one every year around our anniversary. We like to travel. So, uh, we've been in the planning stages of that, which is a lot of fun, but yeah, save it for whenever you can go somewhere fun. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what we're thinking. And obviously we want to do it big. So we'll probably have to wait a few years to kind of recover some finances, but, uh, no, I'm thrilled. It's, uh, good time of the year to do it. Not a ton going on in Oklahoma State, but we're going to talk a lot about uh, what we missed over the past week or so, getting a little bit of spring football, and obviously Oklahoma State basketball trying to replenish their roster, and they got a big get, finally, uh, after uh, quite some time. But we'll get into all that. But first, it's from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. All right, Colby, let's get caught up on the week, shall we? Oh, before we do that, though, I, I haven't put this out on Twitter yet. I did put it on the... Uh, the message board on pistols firing the chamber. You and I, once we get, you know, kind of summertime can get a little slow. Uh, I did one of these type podcasts during COVID lockdown when obviously they weren't playing any sports. So it kind of forced me to do it, but we're going to do kind of a rewatchables style series podcasts. Uh, we're going to call it pistols rewinding, where we're going to go back and watch an old game from Oklahoma state's lore, uh, kind of very much in the fashion of the rewatchables on the ringer and just kind of go through some categories, like what age the best, what age the worst, what hot take would you wish you had in the moment? Uh, we're going to do Colby. I put out a vote on the chamber and we're going to do the uh, triple overtime game between Kevin Durant, Mario Bogan, and Tyler Hatch. People forget Tyler Hatch's role in that, but that's the one we're going to do first, uh, most likely next week because I've been so busy. But uh, I'm excited to kind of revisit some of the best games in, in OSU history. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was glad that the fans voted for that one because I have not watched that game since I watched it live. It is one of my favorite games I've ever watched any sport in Oklahoma State history. It was, I mean, to have a college basketball game that high scoring, that long, that close the whole way, the ridiculous shots, Byron Eton, Mario Bogans banking it in. It, it was just, it really seemed like it wasn't real as we were watching it. Um, and I was probably maybe a freshman in high school at the time. And yeah, that game was a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to getting back into that. Yeah, me too. Um, I covered that game as a member of the Dalio Collegian sports writing staff. I was the columnist 
and Kelly Hines was my cohort. She was the the sports writer, the beat writer. So she wrote the game story, and I wrote a column. And her and I were just kind of looking at each other, like, "Where do we even begin with this game? <laughs> Where do you even start to summarize this game?" What, what, what was your column about? There, you could have picked fifteen different things. Yeah, I think it was more just. I knew what Kevin Durant was. I remember I, I had attended the Big Twelve tournament. Uh, I think that that year was he the one? Was he? It was a one and done. So maybe it was after that. But you just kind of knew he was going to be the number one pick or number two pick that year, and he was kind of a generational player. And I think my column was the fact that uh, Mario Bogan basically outdueled the best player in college basketball. I think it's kind of the angle I took if my memory serves me right, but I could be wrong about that. But it was it was hard to summarize. And I, I do want to say uh, I, I wish Kelly Hines the best. I know she posted some news this week that uh, she'd been laid off by the Tulsa world. Uh, I find that to be uh, really sad just in the state of journalism in our state. Uh, the Tulsa world and the Oklahoma, and I know they're struggling right now. I fear... Uh, what will come if we don't have those two outlets covering the teams, asking the tough questions. If this just, uh, it's a big hit for journalism in our state. And Kelly's done an amazing job. Her and I worked together, as I said, at the Ocali. I could tell even back then uh, what a great journalist she 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 is and was. And I knew what a bright future she had. And it's no surprise for me to see just what her career evolved into and how just how integral she's been, not only covering the University of Tulsa. People kind of associate her just with Tulsa, but she's covered Oklahoma State extensively, even going back to her college years and with the Tulsa world. So I didn't want to say that as well. I, I wish Kelly the best. She's been she's been awesome. And uh, I, I'm proud to have worked alongside her at OSU. Yeah, she's been phenomenal. And um, feel for her and others who have gotten laid off in sports journalism. The, the world is changing. And what we've always known about sports coverage, uh, whether that be newspapers or even regional sports networks, I mean, we've seen the trouble that Bally Sports has had filing bankruptcy, um, nearly a billion dollars of, of debt and all those things. It's Sports coverage is changing, and it's going to a world where it's just going to be a lot more social media. It's going to be a lot more, you know, just quick hitters and stuff like that. And um, I, I feel like we're going to lose some of the very valuable storytelling that we get with local sports and things of that nature. So uh, I, I feel for Kelly Hines, others in, in similar situations. Sports are changing. Sports coverage is changing. And I, I don't know that it's for the better. Um, obviously, money runs everything, but we're going to have to get used to a, a new world of sports coverage because things are changing rapidly. And uh, the way we watch sports, the way we read about sports, those things are going to be very different in 10 years even than I think they are today. So uh, curious to see where it all goes, but it, it's tough for uh, local beat reporters and, and people who do really good work, but uh, that work's just kind of going away. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that evolves in, in our state and, and abroad, but wish Kelly the best. Uh, you can get on Pistols Firing, read this article from Marshall Scott. I'll, congratulations to Marshall as well. Also got married. It was yeah. a... Uh, a lot of nuptials going on at, at Pistols Firing. You you knocked it out early. You got married a lot younger than I did. So uh, congrats to Marshall, who wrote a really good kind of refresher. Uh, the number one item in here is football recruiting picks up, uh, which, you know, we don't have to go player by player. But, you know, right now, Colby, their class, the 2024 class ranks 24th nationally, which, of course, much better than 42nd nationally. And I think this just kind of goes hand in hand for me, Colby. I'm curious to get your take that. Things have kind of calmed down when it comes to the state of, of OSU football. Now, we'll wait and see how they do, obviously, wins and losses-wise, but they've done very well in the portal. Now, we'll see how those guys turn out, but just as we stand today, they've done very well in the transfer portal and are doing very well recruiting. So I think 
things are looking much better than they were just even just a month or two ago. Yeah, they are. It's this weird um, kind of back and forth of do we all just feel better because some time has passed and all fan bases have hope in the offseason? Like pretty much most fan bases are going to have hope and optimism, uh, and that's just not in the college football level. NFL drafts tomorrow. Why does every NFL fan base love the draft? It provides hope. We're going to get that one guy who can come in and change things for us. So I do think that there is hope amongst Oklahoma State football fans that the guys that have been brought in, whether it's Alan Bowman at quarterback if he wins the job, whether it is uh, the big defensive tackle whose who's name, Justin Kirkland from Utah State, who comes in, there have been some things that make you think, okay, Maybe things are going to be all right at Oklahoma State. You get Jaden Bray back. You get Blaine Green back. Um, I, I think Oklahoma State is going to be fine. I, I just don't know that the ceiling is as high as it's been in years past because there are a ton of unknowns. But I don't think the floor is like, you know, three and nine or the wheels totally fall off. I think this is going to be a season where Oklahoma State's kind of in the middle. And that's okay because I, I did feel much more like the wheels were falling off a few months ago. So uh, I think we've all calmed down a little bit as time has passed. And now we're just... Excited for the season as we always are this time of year, but still a long way to wait. Yeah, it is. And I think that leads us to number two, Caleb Etienne. You kind of uh, messaged me and was like, what the heck's going on with Caleb Etienne leaving in the portal? And my my first instinct was, well, they, they did bring in Dalton Cooper uh, to compete with him uh, from the Texas State uh, guy out of the portal. And he was rated really highly in the, all the portal rankings and things like that. But uh, Mike Gundy... You know, he sometimes he can say the politically correct thing, and other times he'll just come out and say what he wants out there. And he said, quote, Caleb just felt like he got beat out. He didn't feel like he was going to start here and that he was going to lose his job, so he wanted to go somewhere else. And while that was also my reaction, Colby, I just think, you know, maybe I'm being negative here, but it just feels like we're already starting that snowball with the offensive line, be it injuries, defections, and that, look, they all the talk all springs been how good the offensive line looks and how much they're going to get back to running the football. And while Etienne, it sounds as if, was going to get beat out, that's why they brought in Cooper, uh, losing depth hurts. So And he's going within the conference, too, to BYU. So I was, I was kind of wondering what you thought about all that. Um, the first thing I thought was I didn't even process in my brain that it was an in-conference transfer until you just said that. <laughs> For whatever reason, I was like, oh, well, he went to BYU. And it didn't even process to me that that was an in-conference transfer. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to have to reprogram my brain on that. Yeah, I, I think what Mike Gundy said, Caleb felt like he got beat out, so he left. I, I think Mike Gundy is very tired of uh, people like us talking about culture and what things are like in the locker room <laughs> and do his players respect him and things like that. I think he's very tired of people like you and me having those conversations. And he just wanted it out there. Look. This is not indicative of a bigger issue. This is one kid who felt like he got beat out, so he went somewhere else where he thought he could start. Uh, I, I think it's very clear what Mike Gundy was doing there, and I don't necessarily blame him for that. Um, the, the big concern is the depth, and, and I don't necessarily blame Caleb Etienne either. If he can start at, B, at BYU, it's probably the right move for him. That being said, man, it hurts Oklahoma State's depth, and depth on the offensive line is always a problem. I, I think the portal is going to thin out depth across college football. I don't think that it's going to be just Oklahoma State because, I mean, guys like Caleb Etienne, especially since you have a transfer window after spring practice, that is very key because guys win and lose spots in spring practice. So the fact that you have that additional transfer window, I mean, there's going to be a bunch of Caleb Etiennes all across the country who get beat out in the spring, and they're like, look, I don't want to sit around just in case this guy gets hurt in week six and then I get to play. I'm going to go somewhere where I'm starting week one. 
And I think we're going to see a lot more of that in college football, but it hurts Oklahoma State. And this uh, does feel like we're heading into a season where we're going to feel good about things at the end of September. And then about October 10th, you're going to have a right guard go down. And then November 1st, you're going to have a left tackle go down. And then all of a sudden, we're going to say, mm, offensive line struggling, quarterback doesn't have time, offense can't move the ball. Um, I, I hope that that's not how this plays out, but we've just seen it one too many times with that position group in particular, Carson, that the depth has just absolutely killed him. Yeah, and that's that's my concern. I, did I think Etienne was that great? No, he's got the the size and the measurables, but – you know, I thought he was a big reason why the offensive line stunk last year, and that's why they're bringing in new guys. So, like, I'm not sitting here bemoaning losing a player in the portal to another school. I'm more bemoaning the depth because that's always been an issue at Oklahoma State since seemingly since Joe Wickline left. So I thought it was a big uh, a big story that, you know, we'll have to see how good Dalton Cooper is. He's got, uh, he's got shoes to fill. Uh, but number three is let's be patient in the basketball portal. You know, you and I were not very patient in the football portal, and o- Oklahoma State did rally the troops and do pretty well there. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see on basketball. I got to think Mike Boyden's got a plan here, but man, with with Caleb Boone, Avery Anderson, Tyreek Smith we, has left since we last talked, Musa Cisse and Woody Newton, you know, that's that's basically your entire team entering the portal. And Mike Boyden hadn't had anybody. It was, you know, the, the Will Smith memes were were plentiful. The gif of him kind of standing alone in a room. It was, uh, I was beginning to wonder, you know, are they going to have a full roster next year? It's going to be all re- the recruiting class and a bunch of walk-ons. But they did get a big get in Javon Small out of uh, East Carolina uh, to kind of fill some of that void. He's a big-time player, has all the the stats and measurables, and we'll see who else Mike Boynton can add because he still has three scholarships to use. He has three to use, uh, assuming he does not decide to eat the last NCAA sanction, which in a matri- in a make-or-break year, uh, at some point over the next couple of years, Oklahoma State still has to lose one scholarship going into a season. This might be a make-or-break year for Mike Boynton, so I don't know that he's going to want to do that this year. It's just every time I talk about it, this, this rage just fills back up inside me that Oklahoma State is still dealing with this. It was, what, 2016 with Lamont Evans, I think. Uh, it's just unbelievable that Oklahoma State is still dealing with these sanctions. Uh, Javon Small, big, big get. Oklahoma State, we've talked about it, Carson. They need a playmaking guard. Yes, they need shooting. But if you get a guy who can shoot a little bit but can also make plays, create for others, just handle the ball at the top of the key. Uh, I mean, Avery Anderson out the door to TCU, uh, which is a huge bummer. He's going to be good down there. Uh Caleb Asbury, his eligibility ran out. You've got John Michael Wright coming back, but uh, Javon Small is six foot two, averaging nearly sixteen a game last year at East Carolina. But what was was key for me with Javon Small, he played eighteen games last year before a knee injury took him out for the rest of the season. In those eighteen games, he would have led Oklahoma State in assists. He had a hundred assists in eighteen games. Bryce Thompson led Oklahoma State in assists last year with ninety six. So wow. They, they need somebody. They need a playmaker, a creator for other guys because we saw it last year. There just weren't enough guys who could get their shot on their own. And when Avery Anderson went down, there, there wasn't a guy creating enough for other players. So uh, I am bullish on getting Javon Small in. Also, Carson, it just feels a little bit good that he narrowed it down. It doesn't feel a little bit good. It feels great that he narrowed it down to Mike Boynton and Porter Moser, and he said, I'm going to Stillwater. That is good. Uh, all you have to do is check the wins-loss record in that series. <laughs> I'd probably go to Oklahoma State before you get into all the other factors. And I, I look, at it, there's two ways to look at this. I, I kind of lean this direction, and I want to get your opinion which way you're leaning. You know, with him coming in, uh, Brandon Garrison, who I think is big time, Eric Daly, who I think is one of the better recruits Mike Boynton's ever got. He's right up there with 
Cade uh, Cunningham, in my opinion, and Justin McBride. You know, that's a bunch of that's a bunch of dudes. It's a bunch of four stars. Uh, you combine him with that and Bryce Thompson coming back. I'm not as it's it's kind of giving me some deja vu about football, Colby, where I'm sitting here wondering why are all these guys leaving? What's wrong with Mike Boynton? Does he have a culture problem? Uh, it was just is it just a bad bad vibe in Stillwater? And we'll have to see how the the incoming freshmen do, Colby. But I'm I'm pretty bullish on all those names I just listed with Bryce Thompson coming back. Now we'll have to see if they have a, they have they have a big inside, but I don't know. I'm I'm warming up, I guess, to how how OSU will be next year. The problem is just who they're going to be playing against next year. The Big Twelve is just a gauntlet once again. But I'm I'm a little more bullish on the roster as it stands today. Yeah, the Big 12 is always bullish. The, the main difference between football and basketball, and I think the reason that things can, the perception of basketball can change so much more quickly than the perception of football, you get one good, solid transfer in football. It's just another guy out of 22. You throw in special teams. Like, it's just another guy in a big scheme, right? Basketball, you get one guy in, and that one guy can change everything. You mentioned Cade. I, I don't put anyone else on the same level with Cade. He was unbelievable, unreal. Everybody wanted him. And he changed everything. I don't know if Eric Daly, Brandon Garrison, Javon Small are those guys, but I know that you can change so much on a basketball team with one or two guys that you hit on. So if Javon Small hits, and he's as productive at Oklahoma State as he was at East Carolina, and then even if just Garrison or Daly really excel as a freshman, that can do so much for Mike Boynton and this Oklahoma State team. So uh, I, I think there's always, for me, it's easier to get excited about one guy, one piece coming in in basketball because that one piece can make such a big difference. And hopefully either small or these young guys uh, can do that. I really still would like to see Mike Boynton just go out and get one wing guy, uh, you know, go get a fair and flavors and let's hope it works out a little bit better this time. And, and he can still shoot in the big 12 whenever you've got guys who are six foot three guarding you in your hip pocket every night. That's much different than shooting at Cal Baptist, but go get a wing who's six foot five and shot 44% somewhere from three at a smaller level and hope that it translate translates uh, to Oklahoma state, because I, I feel like that's still the one piece Oklahoma state kind of needs. Yeah, I agree with that. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, they're in contact with like, this looks like my grocery list, the list of players they're in contact with in the portal. So I'm just going to hold my breath and wait and see uh, who ends up in uh, in Stillwater. But I think you make some really good points there. And I, I love the stat you brought up about the assist numbers. That's that's something they've needed for, for really multiple years now. Uh, a little bit of poor news here. Softball, you good? Um, Cowgirl <laughs> softball team lost five on a five-game losing streak. Uh, four of the four of those losses against ranked opponents. So, you know, it's not like they're losing to you know the bottom of the the barrel here, Colby. But you know, at one point it looked like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were just guaranteed locks um, to to kind of meet in the national championship series. But um, Cowgirls a little going through a little bit of a a dry spell here with the, the, some cold bats. Yeah, it's really surprising with the way they started off the season, uh, and then now they've just kind of crashed back down to earth. They lose the, the last game in Stillwater against Iowa State uh, a couple Sundays ago, and then they lose the following Tuesday to Wichita State. But concerning Carson, Texas is going to be a really good team in the postseason. They're going to be a team Oklahoma State's going to match up in, against probably in the Big 12 tournament and even potentially in the Women's College World Series. They went down to Austin, and they lost three. To Texas. Uh, now they were close games. They lost 1-0, 3-2, and 5-2. It's not like they're getting run out of the park, but uh, I mean, three games, you score four runs against Texas. That's a team you're going to have to beat in the postseason at some point if you want to get to where you want to get to. So uh, yeah, con concerning uh, and and 
you know, you say disappointing. It, it is just from the way they started the season. Kenny Gajewski has more than earned some grace to go through a losing streak and get things, get the ship righted. Um, but yeah, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later because this is a team that I think we all thought was a lock to make the Women's College World Series and to advance uh, pretty far in that tournament. And a five-game losing streak can make you reconsider some of those things. So hopefully it was one bad week and it's not indicative of any larger problems. They're in Lubbock this week at Texas Tech, unranked Texas Tech. So hopefully they can go down there and get the sweep before they uh, face Oklahoma the following weekend in Stillwater for three. Yep, it's a long season, and certainly that series of Oklahoma will loom large in terms of the Big 12 race as well. So uh, last bit, last note here, this kind of caught me off guard, Colby. Uh, how good was Oklahoma State Cowgirls uh, golf this year? Because they won the Big 12 tournament. Um, were they were they any good this year, or did they just kind of get hot at the right time? <laughs> they got hot at the right time. They, were, they have some good individual players, but, you know, men's and women's golf – they just need a couple of years to get back some big pieces that they lost. Isabella Fierro and Kaylee McGinty, those transfers last year, it really kind of undid a lot of the momentum that we saw uh, Coach Robertson have the year that they made it to the national championship match at Greyhawk a couple years ago before they got beat by Ole Miss. Uh, and then same thing on the men's side where they lose Eugenio Lopez-Chicara to live, and then they lose Brian Stark to Texas. Uh, these are just big, big losses that you can't make up for overnight, and you've got young uh, talented players, but they need time to work their way in, have more tournament experience. But uh, your veteran, Madison henson Tolshar, she won the individual title at the Big 12s, four under. Uh, and then your your sophomore, Clements Martin, she finished three strokes back in a tie for third. That was big time for Oklahoma State to go get the Big 12 tournament. They had actually finished eighth out of nine teams at the Big 12 match play at the beginning of April. So, so to get the Big 12 tournament under their belts is huge because you've got regionals next week. Certainly no guarantee that they're getting through regionals, but if they do and they can get to Greyhawk, you never know when you can get hot, especially with a few players on this team who've played Greyhawk before. They've seen the course. They know it. Uh, they, they've been in, in big-time tournaments, the East Lake Cup last year, following uh, the trip to the national championship match. So hopefully they can get through regionals. Uh, and then once you get to Greyhawk, you just never know what can happen. Even if you sneak in at eight, uh, it means you're probably playing Stanford in round one with, with Rose uh, Zhang. No, no Rachel Heck, who's out for the season with a shoulder injury. I know that's way too deep in the weeds uh, on women's collegiate golf for everyone. But there you go. Just get to Greyhawk and see what can happen. <laughs> That's what I'll take from all that. <laughs> Just get to Greyhawk. <laughs> I'm currently watching the men's Big 12 championship at Prairie Dunes. I've never played Prairie Dunes, but it looks oh. absolutely impossible. But uh, Oklahoma State's way out of it. OU is way out in front, Colby. And just it's kind of crazy what's how it's got the men's golf is it's been competitive between Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I don't want to say it hasn't been, but what Ryan Hibble's done at OU pretty damn impressive i mean is this back-to-back big 12 championships now uh did they win last year in i want to say they did it was either them or texas uh won it last year or maybe they won it the year before texas i can't recall but either way i think ou's having more success certainly big 12 wise um maybe even nationally as well it's just uh osu just hasn't quite been the same colby since matthew wolf and that that unbelievable class with, with victor hovland they just haven't been They've been really good. They're still Oklahoma State and all that. They just haven't been national title good. Yeah, no, and, and it's hard whenever you're in the best golf conference, in my opinion, because uh, I think the top has been so elite. I mean, Oklahoma, Oklahoma has won a national championship really recently in golf in, what, 16 or 17? And they have not won one more recently than Oklahoma State or Texas. This, this is just a loaded 
golf conference. Uh, and it's going to be a shame in, in golf to see both of those schools go to the SEC. But Prairie Dunes is unbelievable. Uh, I do have a Prairie hookup. I've played it several times. I'm probably going up this summer. So I will try to coordinate my schedule with you so that you can go play Prairie Dunes with me. Uh, it is it, it is my favorite golf course um, probably that I've played or that I've even been to. The, the only comparison would be maybe Pebble Beach, which I, I went to the final round of the 2019 U.S. Open, but I've never played it. Uh, but Prairie ranks so much higher than for me than Southern Hills, Carson Creek. Uh, those are unbelievable golf courses. But Prairie Dunes, for me, is just a, a different little uh, slice of heaven out in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. But um, Oklahoma State, Jonas Baumgartner at the Big 12 Championships. He's in solo second right now and looks like he has a good chance uh, to, to finish there ahead of, by the way, in solo third, Brian Stark at the University of Texas, uh, mentioning how big that loss was. But Ludwig Aberg at uh, Texas Tech, he's 16 under par. I mean, he's 23 years old. He's been around the block. He's eight shots clear of Jonas Baumgartner in second. So Aberg pretty much has the individual title locked up. Uh, and then Oklahoma has an eight shot lead on Texas Tech heading to the back nine. So Oklahoma probably going to win the individual men's championship with Oklahoma State slotting in somewhere in the uh, third to fifth range. But um, yeah, Oklahoma State definitely capable of making it out of a regional and getting to Greyhawk, uh, but we'll have to play well to do so. Yep, we'll we'll wait and see on the golf. Uh, one more thing from spring football that I just want to touch on, then we can move on to bullets and BBs. Uh, the cowboy back. It's dead, Colby. It's extinct. We don't have to hear any more about the cowboy back. That has been the bane of my existence watching Oklahoma State offensive football. It appears they have finally admitted defeat. We had that hunch when recruiting classes were listed with just tight ends. No. Cowboy backs, but uh, that's been one of the bigger takeaways in spring football is that they're going back to what they originally did with, you know, traditional tight end looks, and hopefully that gets them to run in the football better. But, Colby, I think you and I were always on the same page that, one, they didn't help the running game. They, they're not as good of a, of a blocker as an offensive lineman or maybe even some of their tight ends they've had in the past. Uh, they're usually walk-ons. Maybe that's part of the reason. And they never threw to them. Like you had Blake Jarwin who played in the NFL and starting for the Dallas Cowboys and they never threw him the football at a Cowboy bag. So hopefully Colby, this is the shift that they need to get their offense back on track. Cause I I've never understood their fascination with it. To me, it was not that successful at all. In fact, I think it hindered the offense more than it helped. And finally, I don't have to hear any more about Cowboy backs. Yeah. The Cowboy back as a theory seemed like a good idea and it seemed like there'd be unique and interesting ways to use those guys and get them involved in the offense and it just felt like none of that really materialized into what everybody wanted it to be what everybody thought it would be uh probably including the offensive staff at oklahoma state which is probably why it's now gone away because it just wasn't um it wasn't adding anything to the offense and if it's not adding anything to the offense then what are we really doing with the Cowboy backs? So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that they're going away and certainly caught me off guard whenever I read that, but uh, I'm certainly not opposed to it. Get back to a little more traditional football positions, um, simplify things offensively, and hopefully get guys in better positions to succeed because the, the Cowboy back, again, concept was solid, but the execution, I, I think we both agree, was lacking pretty much throughout the tenure of the Cowboy back. Well, it was it was typically a walk on, so you're starting from that talent level, um, and they weren't great at really blocking or catching or much of anything. They, to me, they hindered the offense and really hindered what Oklahoma State can be offensively. So, uh, get more Brandon Pettigrews in, in there. Get get more traditional tight ends who can block and and also catch the football. So, I think my Gundy's finally admitted defeat on that. Does Pettigrew have a year of eligibility left? Bring him back. 
No, nah, he was there a long time. And <laughs> at his age, bring him back. He would still be productive. He oh, was in a he, what he made him 38. 38 years old. Bring him back. Yeah, he's he's my age. Um, he what made him elite was he was probably the best blocker on the team, and he happened to play tight end and obviously could could catch it and, and run with it um, based on some of his most electric touchdown catches. So he was special. And speaking of Brandon Pettigrew, did you happen to see Dave Hudson's uh, chat GBT all-time OSU football roster? He asked this artificial intelligence thing, chat GBT. Uh, all of it really scares me, Colby, but did you happen to see this tweet? Uh, yeah, the AI stuff, I... Maybe we sound like old guys right now. I'm not here for it. I think it's weird. I, I think it's I think it's going to go too far at some point. Um, I, I saw it, but I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Uh, I think the thing I remember most was Barry Sanders at quarterback. Do I have that right? <laughs> yes. Uh, he asked Chat GBT to compile an all-time OSU football roster. And starting with offense, he has quarterback Barry Sanders, running back Thurman Thomas, Justin Blackman, Des Bryant, Rashawn Woods, and Brandon Pettigrew at tight end. And... <laughs> uh he asked for a quarterback i believe later on you know chat gpt's explanation was yeah perhaps to hit perhaps i went a little too far but barry sanders did win a heisman trophy um but i can't find the follow-up tweet from from dave but basically he picks he, he ends up picking brandon whedon at quarterback to help the offense to or to help the passing game was that was the reasoning so I thought that was pretty hilarious uh, as well. Anything, anyone else you trade out of there? You got Whedon, oh, Thurman. Man. Obviously, you'd, you'd sub Barry back in at running back for Thurman. So Whedon, Barry, Blackman, Dez, Rashawn, Pettigrew. It's it's tough. The only guy who's not in there who I really want in there is Hartley Dykes, but I'm not sure how you get him in there. I, I, I mean, you're, you're certainly not taking out Dez or Blackman, and it feels disrespectful to take out Rashawn. Maybe I'm saying that because I know Rashawn personally. He's a nice guy. I like Rashawn. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard to take Rashawn out of there, but I, I feel like Hartley Dice deserves a spot. I know. Um, I lean Rashawn because that was more my era, and I think you put up his numbers. The numbers he put up in a less miles offense defy reality, physics, or any concept of what's possible considering they were running off tackle 80% of the time. Uh, it's remarkable the career Rashawn had, and he still doesn't get the respect he probably deserves uh, as one of the all-time greats nationally um, as well. So uh, how about the basketball roster? He also asked uh, Dave Hudson again, OKC Dave, follow him on Twitter. This one's got some, a little bit more controversy. The starters, they had John Lucas, Randy Rutherford, Desmond Mason, Byron Houston, and Bob Curland. The bench was Tony Allen, Big Country, Marcus Smart, Ivan McFarlane, uh, James Anderson, uh, Jeff Carroll, a surprise, Mo Baker, and someone named Joe Bradley, which he said was a deep cut. I don't even, I feel like I know all a who's who of OSU basketball players. Joe Bradley slipped under my radar, but what'd you think of the starters? Uh, again, I like the starters. There's not necessarily anybody I want to yank out of the starting lineup, but Tony Allen and Big Country off the bench. I mean, yeah, country off the bench. I, I can't do it. I've, I've got to find a way to get two guys out of that lineup to get those two in as starters. I mean, Tony Allen was co-big 12 player of the year. I, I think I as much as I love Randy Rutherford, who could also play elite level defense and was a better shooter. I just think Tony Allen was the alpha dog difference maker for a final four team um, more so than than Randy. I'd probably do John Lucas that backcourt. John Lucas, Tony Allen. Uh, Desmond Mason, Byron Houston. I, I put country in there. Sorry, Bob Curland. I don't, I'm sure I know Bob Curland 
we all know his career and we all know what he did, but I watched big country go through literally a who's who of NBA centers on his way to the final four and was the most dominant college basketball player I'd witnessed at Oklahoma state. So also on big country's resume is uh, Shaq being asked who was the strongest guy and the guy he least wanted to guard. And he said, big country. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can put that on your resume too, Bryant. So yep. uh, yeah, I think we're in agreement. Let's, let's take Randy Rutherford and uh, Bob Curland out. No disrespect to those guys whatsoever. Just on the outside looking in, let's put Tony Allen and big country in, and then we're in good shape. And one more thing on the defense, he had Sim Drain, guy we had on the podcast. Sim Drain made yeah. it at linebacker, which nice. shocked me. Cornerback R.W. McCorders, Markel Martin and Jordan Stearns at safety, and Parrish Cox at the other corner. Dan Bailey at kicker, Matt Fodge at punter, no-brainers on either of those. Tyreek Hill, kick return, no-brainer, and R.W. punt returner. Maybe put Tyreek at both, but I love R.W. I love R.W. Uh, Derrick Williams, rest in peace. May, may he, maybe he can get a little bit of love there Ooh, as well. that's a good one. Yeah, Derrick Williams as a punt slash kick returner. Um, did, were, were linebackers on there? He only had one linebacker. Um, no, no, no Sim Drain. No Malcolm. Or, wait, I'm sorry. That um, he had. Oh, who, Malcolm's got to be in there somewhere. Malcolm Rodriguez. Yeah, he had the offensive line and over to defense. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Sim Drain was the last linebacker listed. He had Leslie O'Neill, Kevin Williams, Jamal Williams. Emmanuel Ogba on the D-line, Sean Lewis, Kenyatta Wright, Sim Drain at linebacker, and then the rest of those guys I read. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty loaded. Uh, by the way, tomorrow NFL draft starts. 20-year anniversary of the Vikings failing to get their pick in on time at number seven and then failing to get their pick in on time at number eight and then drafting Kevin Williams, uh, who should be in the NFL Hall of Fame, has now been inducted into the Vikings Ring of Honor at number nine. Kevin Williams and Pat Williams were an absolute wall, just units eating up space. Kevin Williams was so, so, so good. Uh, I think he's very underrated in Oklahoma State lore. I agree. Uh, he'll be in the ring of honor for sure. Uh, um, was That had to be squinky, right? I mean, of course it was an Oklahoma State player who was supposed to be taken at seven and goes ten. Uh, yeah, it had to have been. It's the guy that, uh, according to, you know, stories that I've read, I actually just read a story about the 20th anniversary of it. Uh, and they said that Kevin Williams was the guy they wanted at seven, but they were trying to trade down because the owner was a, a cheap cheap you know what um and they couldn't get the trade down and then Ozzie Newsom didn't send the trade to the NFL offices you know stuff that happens in 2003 NFL so they wound up with their guy they wanted at nine anyway uh but Kevin Williams I think even as an overall top 10 draft pick I think he exceeded every expectation uh and those Viking teams were so so much fun back in the mid-2000s so uh Kevin Williams deserves more credit for how great he was at Oklahoma State and in the NFL he should be in the Hall of Fame I agree. And I, I think I think those Vikings were so cheap they just wanted to pay him tenth pick money and not seven. <laughs> was what, yeah. That's how I remembered it anyway. There wasn't a, uh, a a sliding scale back then. You know, now you have the sliding scale. You get pick seventh, this is what you make, tenth, this is what you make. Back then it was wild, wild west free for all. Let's just negotiate under the salary cap. Uh, we all remember Sam Bradford got like $54 million, I think, guaranteed from the Rams before he ever took a snap, and that was kind of the one, that one, and I think Cam Newton maybe were the ones that brought it back down to where they have the sliding scale now. So, yeah, maybe they just wanted to have a little more uh, leverage in the negotiating. Yeah, maybe so. The best response to all this chat, GBT, by the way, uh, was from John Clavius Jones. He said, Casey Dunn would put up 18 points per game with this roster. <laughs> I can't go there. I can't Oof. go there in April. Oof. I I would suggest they score more points this year if I was Casey Dunn. So, or else, so, so people can't make those jokes. 
let's just not go six straight weeks where you don't top 20. Is yeah. that, I don't, I don't think that's too much to ask. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to bullets and BBs. Colby, what do you got for me this week? Bullets and BBs. We've already covered both of mine, but I'm going to reiterate them. Cowgirl golf. I mean, to, to step up in the big 12 championship after, I mean, not necessarily a down year, but this team that played for a national title two years ago, and, and they're not really in that realm right now to step up and go win it and have two players in the top three, including the individual winner in Madison Henson Tolshar, who's a very good player uh, for coach Greg Robertson. That's big time from Calgary golf. So a uh, huge congratulation to coach coach Robertson and those girls. That's a big time performance uh, and happy. They were able to bring home a trophy, uh, you know, conference championships matter too. So bringing home a trophy is always good. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, my bullet, I'm going to go to, speaking of trophies, Taylor Gooch shot a career best 62 and then followed that up with another 62. Uh, he was up by 10 strokes. He got a little wobbly in the final round on the live golf tour, but he ended up winning by three and getting a huge win on, on the live tour. And I just think, you know, it, I hope this all gets worked out to where he's still able to play in majors because he's still in his prime. Unlike many of the people on that tour, because Taylor Gooch has proven that he can compete at majors. He's one, he's a top 30 golfer in the world. And I just hope they get this ranking system figured out to where he's able to participate in the majors. And that's a risk he took when he joined the tour. I'm not saying he didn't, but um, I just hope he has a chance to, to prove it against you know the PGA guys at the majors moving forward. Cause he's, he's playing the best golf of his life right now and has really over the last year, year or two and change. So it was fun to watch an Oklahoma state guy Colby because in their rankings in the top 10 of the live, you got, Peter Uline, Charles Howell III, and now Taylor Gooch bringing up one, two, three. So it's a, it's an, we'll call it the live tour, the OSU tour. Uh, yeah, no doubt about it. I think people who've listened to me over the last year or so here and elsewhere know that I'm, I'm not a live golf guy, but I am a Taylor Gooch guy. Taylor's always been very nice to me. I've uh, been around him a handful of times, interviewed him for the, the 73rd hole uh, whenever I was still doing that with those guys who, who still do a great job. Uh, I am a Taylor Gooch guy. It was good to see him play well. Didn't actually see it because it was in Australia, probably being played in the middle of the night, um, but crowds were great. And, and by the way, I think that that kind of is the model for live golf. I mean, what the hell are y'all doing in Orlando and Tucson? I mean, just places that are just inundated with golf constantly. Go to Adelaide. Those people are starving for high-level golf, and the big tours ignore them because they're around the world and it's hard on travel and all these things. I mean, Adelaide last week, Singapore this week, I think that that's the model for live golf. Forget about the U.S. because the PGA Tour uh, has the U.S. locked down. Go, go dominate the rest of the world. Uh, big win for Taylor Gooch, and we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out moving forward. So um, I do think he deserves in majors. I think there's a handful of other live guys who deserve in, ma in majors. I just don't know how you do it because right now Peter Uline ranks first in live golf. No disrespect to Peter Uline. I, I think we have enough of a sample size throughout his career to say that he's probably not a guy who just deserves a free spot into major championships. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they've got to figure something out because golf's in a weird, weird place right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, what do you got for BBs? BBs, Carson, again, we talked about it earlier. It, it's got to go to Cowboy softball right now, and, it, and it's not some sort of harsh criticism. It's just when you are that level of program, you have raised uh, the stakes. You have raised the expectation to a level. It's kind of like Mike Gundy said forever. We created the monster, and now we have to feed the monster. Kenny Gajewski has created the monster. The monster needs fed a five-game winning streak. Pardon me, a five-game losing streak, and you drop three in Texas. Uh, that's that's tough for Oklahoma State softball. So again, hopefully it's just a bad week and not indicative of anything that's going to linger into the postseason. But uh, just for this one individual week, Oklahoma State softball has to get the BB for me. Yeah, 
I agree with that. Uh, I'm going to go with my man, one of my all-time favorite athletes, guy who played football at Florida State. He invented the high-step dance in the end zone. Oh, man. Oh, man. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. Oh, boy. You know, we thought OSU may have a culture problem. Uh, Deion saying, hold my beer or hold my, hold my Louie. Remember when he came in there and said, he, he you guys can leave because he's bringing oh, yeah. in his own Louie's luggage, oh, his yeah. own Louis Vuitton? Uh, hold my Louie, says Prime. He's got 42 dudes in the portal after their spring game. It's like they all used him to be on ESPN, showcase some of what they have on on tape, and bounce. Um, so it's it seems seemingly blowing up in his face before the season even starts in, in Boulder. Yeah, weird situation up there because I absolutely think that they were smart to make that hire because when you are a nothing program, you're down in the dumps, conference realignment's a thing that's happening. You you just you can't exist in a state of nothingness, which is where college which is where Colorado football was. So they no longer exist in a state of nothingness, but I still don't know if this is gonna work or not. I think only time will tell. I think Travis Hunter is a phenomenal case study uh for some for a lot of these conversations that we have surrounding modern college football. Um yeah, I, I just it's going to come down to wins and losses as it does with everybody. If they win eight games, nobody's going to care that all these guys hopped in the portal. Their initial schedule starting out the season is not great. I think they play USC and Oregon in their first four. Uh, maybe even throw Nebraska in there. I know Nebraska's not any good, but Colorado hadn't been any good either. So uh, that'll be a, a good watch between two new coaches at uh, has-been programs that, that used to be great in the Big 12 and went elsewhere and fell flat on their faces. So I don't know how it's going to work with Prime, uh, but I am fascinated to watch it play itself out. Yep, me too. Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, don't believe so. Rain, rain, go away. I'm tired of this. How do people live in Seattle? It's miserable. I, you you want to you know what's really disgusting about it? I was off work this week, Monday through Thursday. It, it was a weird week for me. Off work Monday through Thursday. Ugh. Zero holes of golf. I know everybody's going to take great pity for that. But, uh, yeah, rain, rain, go away. I did feel for you the other weekend. You said you were going to play, and it was absolutely miserable on that Saturday. Oh, my gosh. It was it was a tournament, so I couldn't bail, and it was a, a two-man team tournament, so Ugh. I couldn't bail on my partner. It was – oh, dude, I was Wolf. cold. I mean, I, I had three layers on, the beanie – the whole morning and the worst part is four o'clock that afternoon it was like it flipped the wind flipped the sun came out and it turned into a decent afternoon but the morning when we were out there playing golf miserable yeah let's pick a better day and go play prairie dune sometime no doubt count me in on that thanks everybody for listening uh we'll let you know keep keep in touch with us on twitter at colby j powell at carson underscore okc uh and we'll tweet out whenever we're gonna uh watch the was 2007 oklahoma state texas yep Should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great weekend. Go Pokes!